um, in our first service. I don't think I said that this morning earlier. Next Sunday in our first service, Brother Chester Wright will be with us in ministry. And we're looking forward to what he will be used of the Lord to minister and believing great things there. Um, also, don't forget the end of July Vacation Bible School. There's a sheet with some needs in terms of help and hands and support. That's at the end of July, so there's plenty of time. But don't let that go, oh, well, I'll look at it later. Give attention to it. There's a sheet on the bulletin board. If you'd like to be involved in ministry, this is an opportunity. Uh, some of it's out front. Some of it's just behind the scenes. But many hands make light work. So please take a look at that. And let's support Brother Joey and Sister Stephanie and the vision God's given them for VBS this year. It's important. Amen. And then finally, um, this week, I, I sent out a, uh, a broadcast communication uh, via the WhatsApp channel, but I want to make sure we all heard. Uh, this week, we are asking, and I believe the Lord is leading us, to set aside a week of focused prayer and fasting. And I'm asking a couple of things. Uh, as you know, we've done this before, so we're not going to be checking in or monitoring. This is between you and the Lord. We're not doing this to be seen of men. The Scripture warns us about that. But there is something about coming together in unity in prayer and fasting. And so I'm asking a couple of things. First, we're setting aside Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday of this week. Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday, those three days. We're asking everyone that is a part that would so choose to at least one, if not two, or all three of those days, push away from the table, push away from the plate, and set aside a day of focused fasting and prayer, or two or three. Um, it was said earlier, and it's worth saying again, and it's not original with me. It comes from the Word. If you're fasting but you're not praying, then you're dieting, not fasting. All right, fasting should be coupled with prayer. And so otherwise it's just a diet. There's a lot of people that do intermittent fasting, right? They're not affecting the plan of God at all. They're on a diet. And so we need to couple fasting with prayer. And we do not fast to bribe God. If that's your purpose, you're wasting your time. And you should just eat and enjoy the meal. We fast to get postured to be more sensitive to the Spirit of God, the Word of God, the will of God. And so uh, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday, setting aside those days corporately as a body for fasting and prayer. You may receive more instruction through the week about prayer as we agree together in focused areas. Um, secondly, as part of that fast, I'm asking all who will, uh, if you consider yourself a part of this congregation. Uh, I am asking that for this week, from Monday through Friday at a minimum, we disconnect from all media, digital, electronic intake. Now, I realize for our jobs, we may need to check email, I, you know, call and text your wife still. Don't you understand? But I'm asking all the other stuff that we would fill out. If you have a television in your home, unplug it, turn off, whatever. Disconnect from other media 
digital electronic influences. Those times when you would spend in that, spend it in his word, spend it in prayer with him. I would like this to be, I believe the Lord's inviting us to a week of consecration and waiting together on him. Amen? Praise God. Like I said, we're not going to monitor that. That's not, not about putting a thumb on. But I know from the word of God, God honors it when his people, he said, if my people which are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. We have a responsibility in that. My people. Apparently his people were involved in wicked ways. That can happen when we start entertaining the things of this world. And so we want to consecrate ourselves. He said, if we'll do that, he said, then I'll hear from heaven. I'll forgive their sins and I will heal their land. We need our land to be healed. And it's not going to get healed politically. The only healing that can ever come to this nation that is needed in our valleys is by the power of of a church that will pray and seek the face of God and humble ourselves to be conduits for him to work through. Amen? So this week, a week of prayer and fasting. And if you'll seek to join us, would you say amen? amen. I didn't watch so I could call somebody. I saw you say amen. Yeah. Praise God. You say, well, man, fasting's hard. Well, of course, we enjoy eating. Amen. You may not be able to tell by looking, but I promise I enjoy eating. And so it's necessary for us to do these things. And there's power when we do it in unity. Amen. Um, I'll dismiss uh, teachers to a classroom this morning. And. Would you uh, maybe look to the person to your left or right, say hello, tell them how amazingly beautiful their smile is this morning, <laughs> greet them. <laughs> Hallelujah. 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 Praise God. Why don't you grab your Bible with me this morning? Thank you again for being here. I believe the Lord has prepared us in worship to receive what he would speak to us by his word. I want to hear from him, don't you? And this doesn't surprise some of you, but just in case you're wondering, I thought I knew where we were going, and the Lord 
the Lord shifted here. And I know where we're starting, but that's about all I know right now. And so we'll see what the Holy Ghost wants to do. I guess I didn't dismiss the kids. Thank you. I was like, I missed something, didn't I? Sorry, I'm sort of focused here. I'm ready to, there's a, something turning in my spirit right now. In Jesus' name. First Kings, book of 1 Kings, chapter number 18. 1 Kings, chapter 18. While you're turning there, I, I, I know I say this periodically. I'm going to stop saying it. So help me, Lord, after today. And I'm going to trust you that it would just be. Yeah, I'm just going to. There we go. Um, oftentimes you will hear me say, please go back and listen to watch the first service. How many of you have heard me say that before? Yeah. So you, um, I, I'm going to try to stop saying that. Okay. I'm going to put that into your hands. Um, some of you that come to both s services, you recognize that the ministry is different in each service. You recognize we don't try to preach or teach the same thing and just cookie cutter and okay, right? We recognize this. And so I, I do believe, you know, the Lord knows what he's doing. And, um, and so I believe that the word of God will edify the body. That's what it's for. And so it would be wise in your patterns to go back through your week. And if you miss a time of coming together to go back and catch it, it's available to you. And to go back and view, listen to that. Um, the scripture tells us the Lord said he would speak to his people line upon line, precept upon precept, here a little and there a little. And so the Lord's nature does not change. And so because that's his pattern of speaking to his people, line upon line, here a little, there a little, precept upon precept, because that's the way he, he still speaks to his people that way. And so as a result, God will speak to us. There will be times that if we were to go back or if we stay in tune spiritually or we can go back and look through the different maybe several weeks or months of ministry, we will see that there is a thread of the Spirit of the Lord where He is speaking to us, not just a great message here or, well, so, so, but where He is, He's building line upon line. It is, it is the shaping of the body. It's the forming of the body. Okay? Uh, he spoke to us this morning in the first service. I felt like it was a part of something He spoke to us about two weeks ago. And so he's building line upon line, line upon line. So um, I know you have a hunger for the word and the things of God, but it's easy to get busy. So I'm encouraging and reminding you, if stay connected through that. Those things are available so that you can go back and do so. Amen. First Kings chapter 18. 
And let's just start at verse 19. 1 Kings chapter 18 and verse 19. And I may read quickly because of time. But just follow along. 1 Kings 18 verse 19. Now therefore send, this is the prophet Elijah speaking, because he has now revealed himself, made himself known to, through Obadiah to King Ahab. He's back on the scene after three and a half years of, of um, invisibility, if you will. Now therefore send and gather to me all Israel to Mount Carmel, and the prophets of Baal 450. And the prophets of the groves, 400, which eat at Jezebel's table. So Ahab sent to all the children of Israel and gathered the prophets together to Mount Carmel. I want you to notice something right here. Ahab was a king of Israel. Ahab was not walking in the plan and will of God. But Ahab responded to the word from the prophet. You understand, when a word of God comes, there comes times where governmental authorities, even when they're not following God, they have to respond. That was bonus. Verse 21. And Elijah came to all the people, they're on Mount Carmel, and he said, how long, this is a question he poses to the children of Israel, how long halt you between two opinions? How long are you going to stay in this place of indecision? How long are you going to stay in this place of living toward the world and the gods of this world? That's what Baal was one day. And then... But also thinking you can live for the God of Israel, the one true living God of the Bible the other days. How long are you going to be stuck stuck between two opinions? See, we can read this verse of Scripture and we can think, man, they were so far gone. They were worshiping Baal. That's just so hard to believe. I can't even fathom that. I'm so thankful that I live for the one true God. Not recognizing... That what they were doing, you understand Baal is the God of this world. Oh, he takes on different names, forms, and elements. But he is the God of this world. We know the scripture tells us that Satan is the God of this world. That's why Satan, when he came and tempted the Lord Jesus Christ, could say to him, if you'll cast yourself from this mountain, I'll give you all these kingdoms. Now someone might read that and say, well, how could Satan say that? God already had... Well, because he's the God of this world. So those kingdoms were his to give. And so Baal, we see they were... And the word of God through the prophet Elijah is coming to the people of God. And he's trying to bring them to a decision. A decision between living their life, getting the benefits of the God of Israel, because they definitely wanted that. But living towards Baal and the God of this world, pleasing the God of this world. Versus drawing a firm line in the sand. And so Elijah said, how long do you halt 
between two opinions. How long are you going to play in that place, dare I say it this way, of riding the fence? I don't know if that's a southern thing or not, but how long are you going to stay in this place of riding the fence? If the Lord be God, follow him. If Baal, follow him. I want you to notice the people answered him not a word. That speaks of the condition of their heart. Doesn't it seem like there should be an immediate response to that statement from the prophet of God? I mean, wouldn't you think that people would say, not up for debate. We're following the Lord God of Israel. But that's not what they did. You know why they didn't? Because the 450 prophets of Baal were standing there. And the 400 prophets of the groves were there. And King Ahab, they weren't sure. Which, and so what they were doing was they were looking to see what men would do. They were concerned with pleasing men. Rather than pleasing God. And so they were trying to live their lives in both camps. The Bible says through the prophet Joel, the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. And there are multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision. This is not a time for the people of God to be in a place of decision. It's a time for the people of God to know who our God is and to commit our life to Him. Okay, I'm trying to get where I think he's taking us here. Verse 22. Then said Elijah to the people, I, even I only, remain a prophet of the Lord. But Baal's prophets are 450 men. Now that wasn't true, but he felt that way. We know that from later on. But he felt like he was the only one left. But in that setting where they were on Mount Carmel at the time, he was the only prophet of the Lord, but there's 450 Baal's prophets. Verse 23, let them, these 450 prophets, let them give us two bullocks and let them choose one bullock for themselves and cut it in pieces, lay it on wood, don't put fire under it, and I will dress the other bullock and I'll lay it on wood and I'll put no fire under it. Verse 24, and call on the name of your gods. And I'll call on the name of the Lord. And the God that answereth by fire, let him be God. And all the people, now they're ready to talk. And all the people answered and said, it is well spoken. Or in other words, we agree. Now there was no secret thing here. Elijah said, this is what we're going to do. Everybody knew. It's out in the open. All right. Verse 25, and Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, oh, sorry, I already read that, didn't we? Or did we? No, I guess that's where we're at. 25, and Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, choose you one bullock for yourselves and dress it first for your many. Call on the name of your God, but put no fire under it. And they took the bullock which was given them, and they dressed it and called on the name of Baal from morning until noon, saying, O Baal, hear us. But there was no voice nor any that answered. And they leaped upon the altar which was made. Isn't this a sight? Got this picture in your mind. 450 men calling on a God that doesn't exist 
trying to get a response, doesn't have the power to respond. Finally, they start jumping on the altar. I can't imagine what this looked like. It must have been a spectacle with 450 men doing this. Sometimes we read right past it. We've got to let our minds see this picture that's going on here. Here's this altar. There's no wood. There's no fire. Or this altar with no fire. There's a cut up bullock on top of it. And we got 450 men crying out, Oh, Baal, hear us! And running around. Not just for a minute or two. From morning all the way till noon. And they're getting desperate. They start jumping up on the altar. Now, if we saw this today, we would call that crazy. All right? But this is what they're doing. Verse 27. And it came to pass at noon that Elijah mocked them. He'd been watching for a while. He had all he could take. And he said, cry aloud, for he's a god. Either he's talking or he's pursuing or he's in a journey or... Peradventure, he sleeps and needs to be waked. And so they cried aloud and they cut themselves after their manner with knives and lancets. I mean, this is going from bad to worse. You know, there are people deceived by the God of this world that cut themselves. They don't even know why they do it. They just cut themselves. They're deceived by the God of this world. It's the spirit of Baal. It's the spirit of Baal. I didn't plan that, but I thought the Holy Ghost paused us right there. God's able to deliver. He's able to deliver. So they cut themselves till blood gushed out upon them. And it came to pass when midday was passed and they were prophesied until the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice. Did you catch that? They have been doing this all day long. From morning till noon and then from midday till the time of the evening sacrifice. All day long. 450 men crying out to a false god, cutting themselves, bleeding out on an altar, trying to get a response from a false god. I'll never forget one of the most impactful messages of my life when I was a teenager. Minister preached the message. What would the heathen do for their God? And he spoke of the fact that 450 men would give an entire day trying to get a response from a false God. Would cut themselves. Would carry on. Would do all of this stuff. But yet I, what would I do for my living God? Now, he wouldn't ask us to cut ourselves. You understand. But sometimes the heathen's willing to do more for their false God than the children of God are willing to do for the living God. Now, 
There was neither voice nor any answer in that regarded. And Elijah said to the people, come near to me. And all the people came near to him. And he repaired the altar of the Lord that was broken down. This is where I want to get to. I know we read a lot, but this is where I feel the Holy Ghost is wanting to speak to us. He repaired the altar of the Lord that was broken down. And Elijah took 12 stones, according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord came, saying, Israel shall be thy name. And with the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord. And he made a trench about the altar as great as would contain two measures of seed. And he put the wood in order, and he cut the bullock in pieces, laid him on the wood, and said, Fill four barrels with water, and pour it on the burnt sacrifice. And on the wood. And he said do it. The second time. That's eight barrels. And they did it the second time. And he said do it the third time. That's twelve barrels. And they did it the third time. And the water ran round about the altar. And he filled the trench also with water. And it came to pass at the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice. That Elijah the prophet came near and said. Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and of Israel, let it be known this day that thou art God in Israel, and that I am thy servant, and that I have done all these things at thy word. Hear me, O Lord, hear me, that this people may know that thou art the Lord God, and that thou hast turned their heart back again. Then the fire of the Lord fell. And consumed the burnt sacrifice and the wood and the stones and the dust. And licked up the water that was in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces. And they said, these are the people that were silent before. They said, the Lord, he is the God. The Lord, he is the God. Here this morning, I want you to watch. And I really don't think I'm going to be long now. I feel such a witness of the Holy Ghost right now. I want you to notice what happened when the prophet of God did these things. When it was time for him to offer the sacrifice, he did not put his attention and focus on the prophets of Baal. He put his attention and focus on the Lord God Almighty. He didn't turn his eyes to try to impress them. He wasn't caught about what, with what do they think. Well, I wonder, I need to, he put his focus and attention on the one true God. And when he built the altar, I want you to notice what we read there. The scripture says he repaired the altar That was broken down. What that tells me is that at one time. There was an altar on Mount Carmel. At one time there was a place of prayer. There was a place of worship. There was a place of sacrifice on that mountain. But because the children of God. Had gotten pulled away to the things of the world. A place where there had been an altar. That was readily used. Had become in a place of disrepair. It had come to a place of being broken down. And just a relic that you might have passed by and seen. But it was no longer functional and operative. 
hear me, it is the desire of the Lord God Almighty in this hour that the fire of His Spirit would be upon His church. It is the desire of God in this moment that the fire of the Holy Ghost would flow through the people of God. It's the reason that the Lord said through John the Baptist, there's someone coming after me whose shoes I am not worthy to unloose. I'm not worthy to bend down and tie or untie his sandals. John said, I'm baptizing you with water to repentance. But when he comes, he's going to baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. The scripture says our God is a consuming fire. There is a need in this hour like never before for the fire of the Spirit of God to be upon, flow in, and through the people of God. So why isn't it? The altar is in disrepair. No altar, no fire. No altar, no fire. We need a daily altar. We need a daily place of meeting with God and God meeting with us. It should be a sacred place. It should be a kept place. It's the reason why Jesus said when you pray, enter into your closet. He wasn't talking about going into an actual closet, although if you do, that's okay. He was speaking of going into a place that is kept for you and God alone. Free from distraction where you're not going to be pulled to the left or the right. And where you can get alone with God an altar. I'm afraid some have altars that are in disrepair. And there will never be fire of the Spirit of God operative in your life as long as the altar is in disrepair. It won't happen. So you got to start there. you got to start with repairing altars that have been broken down. There are some places where it happens to us. We're human. It happened to the children of Israel. Things we once held dear and consecrated and separated unto God, holy unto God. Over time, we become complacent and we allow those places of memorial to get broken down. We allow those places that once we put a firm line in the sand, we drove a stake in the ground, if you will. We built an altar that said, this is unchangeable. This is a memorial to God. This is a place where I remember where God did and I'm never going back from here. You understand, when they crossed the River Jordan, the Lord told them when they crossed over to build an altar there that altar was a memorial to them that God had brought them so that they would not go back can read it they crossed over but you also notice if you read there that when they went Joshua stopped you can't find where the Lord told him to do this but we know he was being led of the Lord that after the priest would the Bible says Joshua stopped now you understand when they crossed into Jordan the children of Israel when they crossed into Jordan the Bible says that the Jordan overflowed its banks at the time because it was the time of harvest. The Bible tells us that at the time of harvest, Jordan overflowed its banks. 
And so that was a great miracle. No one could say, oh, they crossed through because the river was really dry, and so there wasn't much God had to do. Oh, no, no, no. The river overflowed its banks, and when the priest's feet stepped in, the river parted, and Israel went across on dry ground, and they built an altar according to the commandment of the Lord. But watch. Joshua stops. He stops in the middle of the river. Dry ground. And he gets stones, and Joshua builds an altar in the middle of the river. Read it, it's in the Word. He built an altar there in the middle of the river. Why? It was his memorial to God. And you know what I believe? They crossed over. I think if my memory serves me correct, it's Gilgal, where they came across and where they built that altar once they came across the Jordan into Gilgal. And Gilgal was a place that they would come to and worship. You read in Saul as king, he would often come to Gilgal and offer sacrifice there. It's what got him in trouble, actually, too, when he offered his own sacrifice. But the point was, if Israel ever got the idea, you know what? This promised land isn't what we thought. I wish I was back in Egypt. We know that came into their minds. As they would make their way back, they would get close to the Jordan. They would see the altar there, and the altar was a memorial It was a reminder, God brought you here. Don't you go back. This memorial is a barrier. It's a stake in the ground. It's something you built. I'll not go back to where he brought me from. I remember coming through on dry ground. And the altar at Gilgal is a memorial to God of where he brought me from. And so if I ever entertain the idea of going back, I've got an altar there and I stop at the altar and I begin to remember what God has done for me. I begin to thank Him again and He begins to pour over my heart anew. I sacrifice to Him again and I get back up and say, I can't go back. I've got to go forward. Where And so altars become memorials that remind us of what God has done in our life and where He's brought us from and where He's taking us to. But what happens if I let them get in disrepair is there's no longer a place of consecration to God. And what once I would never consider going back. Now the altar has sort of grown up because it's been broken down. And maybe weeds have come and taken over. And what once was sacred to me is now just a passing memorial that, you know, it's something on a plaque on the side of the road. But it's not really any place of meeting with God. I believe Joshua built the altar in the middle of Jordan. Because when God took Israel through, it was the time of harvest. And so they came into the promised land, and there was plenty. There was plenty. It was the time of harvest. When it's not the time of harvest, Jordan's pretty bare. Gets low. The heat dries it up. You know, it's easy to be in a place when there's plenty to eat. Physically and spiritually. But when things get a little barren and a little dry. That's when the adversary says, you know, it was a lot better back there. You know, you were eating leeks and onions back in Egypt. And you start entertaining things that God brought us out of. Because it's not a time of harvest that God has us in in this season of life. I really believe, this is simply my opinion, I'm not trying to add to Scripture. I really believe that when Joshua stopped and built that altar in the middle of the Jordan, 
the second that the Lord let the river flow again, it covered the altar. So they wouldn't have seen it. I believe Joshua thought one day this river's not going to be flowing like this and it won't be harvest. And when it dries up a little bit, I want them to see the memorial in the middle. Just in case they entertain passing Gilgal, I want them to see a reminder of where God split the river for them to come here. When things get dry, I want them to still have an altar. When things aren't flowing like they were when we crossed over, I still want them to have an altar. When things aren't feeling the way they felt victorious heading into the promised land, and they think about crossing back over Jordan, I want them to see this altar in the middle of the river that says, this is where I stood on dry ground. I'm not going back. So if, you need, if we are going to have the fire of the Spirit in our life, we must have an altar. Now watch. Elijah spoke in faith. I don't know if you caught it when we read it. I paused, but I kept going. He said to prepare the altar and the burnt sacrifice. You see that? I have a question for you. Was it burnt yet? (laughs) He spoke in faith. He didn't say prepare the sacrifice. He said prepare the burnt sacrifice. He knew if I put a sacrifice on the altar, God will consume the sacrifice. Hear me. We need the fire of the Spirit of God in our lives. I remember, I hope I'm remembering this right anyway. Older I get, I question my own memory. Didn't happen when I was 40. Once I turned 50, I started double-checking, you know. Probably the reason my pastor when I was younger said a short pencil is better than a long memory. (laughs) But, yeah, Charles Finney, a great revivalist, in years gone by, made this statement. People would ask him, what is the, what is the secret to revival when you come into a city? What is, what is that secret? Well, there were two secrets that he would point to. Number one, he had a man that would go in sometimes a month before he would or more and would go and find a place in that city, rent a room and lock himself in the room and just pray and wait on God and pray and wait on God sometimes a month or more before Charles Finney would show up to preach. This man committed to the ministry with him, and he committed his part was to go in the city before and just pray and pray and pray. He built an altar. Here's the second secret that Charles Finney said. He said, I just go and I set myself on fire. And people come to watch me burn. They're not coming to see me. There is a fire that's burning. And that burning fire. Anybody ever stop to watch a fire? Anybody ever seen a big fire billow and thought, let's drive over there and see what's going on? (laughs) Some of you pointing at other people. Right? A fire gets attention. This is the design of God. Why do you think he wants to set his people on fire? It's not to draw attention to us. 
It's to draw attention to Him. And so the desire of the Lord that I feel so clearly in this hour, the desire of the Lord is to fall upon the people of God like never before, that we would be baptized with the Holy Ghost and fire. It's not enough. I'm going to tell you, it's not enough to just be baptized with the gift of the Holy Ghost. And I thank God for the gift of the Holy Ghost. I thank God for... The baptism of the Spirit where He fills you and you begin to speak with other tongues as His Spirit gives the utterance. I thank God for that. But it needs to go further to where I'm baptized with fire. He said the Holy Ghost and fire. So here's the other part. you got to repair the altar. No sacrifice, no fire. No sacrifice, no fire. You can repair the altar. You can put all the wood in place. You can dig the trench, Elijah. Now, do you understand? How many, how many barrels of water do we end up with? Twelve? Twelve. Do you realize what a sacrifice that was? How long had it been since it rained? Three and a half years, no rain. They were in a drought, to say the least. Three and a half years, no rain. We went one week without watering our lawn by accident, and it looked like it was about the color of the hillsides. It was brown as could be. Now, you imagine three and a half years, no rain. Good luck with that garden, Brother Jacinto. Three and a half years, no rain. Everything was dead, dry. I think that's a fair assessment. He said, I want you to get 12 barrels of water. What do you think people were thinking as they watched that water get poured over that altar? What's he doing? What's he doing? I'll tell you what he was doing. He was saying the thing that's most sacred to everybody right now, I'm willing to put it on this altar so that you can see the glory of God revealed. And I promise you, nothing was more sacred to those people in that time than water. And he wanted them all to witness, not one time, not two times, but three times. He wanted them to witness. I'm taking the most precious thing you'd love to have right now. And it means more to God than any. I'm taking this precious water and I'm dumping it over this. It's a sacrifice. It's the first. Sure, we know it's a power. Well, you're taking away. Some people just look at the fact that, well, it's making it wet. So if anything happens, it's really God. No, it was a sacrifice. He was pouring a water sacrifice over that altar that they could all see the most precious thing to all of you I'm willing to put on the altar. And then he put the bullock there. And then he prayed this simple prayer. Now, stand with me, please. I told you I thought I was going to be pretty quick now. I can repair the altar, and I should, and you should. We need an altar. And we can take all the things that are precious to us and put them on it. 
it doesn't replace the bullock being placed on the altar. You understand? The writer, Apostle Paul, wrote to the church at Rome in Romans 12 and 1. And he said, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. It's reasonable. In verse 2, and be not conformed to this world. That's Baal. Don't halt between two opinions. Be not conformed, shaped by, influenced by, designed by, molded by this world. But be transformed, be changed by the renewing of your mind. Why? So that you may prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So you got a repaired altar. You put things that are precious to you on it. Now you have to get on the altar. You have to get on the altar. You have to be willing to say, not my life, yours, God. Not my plan, yours, God. Not my will, yours, God. Not my desire. Now, it's easy to say. It's a whole nother thing to do. It's a whole nother thing to stay on the altar. Especially when it starts getting hot, because you know when the fire comes, it's going to get hot. Just in case you didn't know that. When the fire comes, it's going to get hot. Because the fire is meant to do what to the sacrifice? Consume it. To consume it. Our God is a consuming fire. The fire is meant to consume the sacrifice. Why would I want to put myself on an altar and be consumed? It's the only way the glory of the Lord will ever be revealed through your life and mine. It's the only way. And He wants to reveal His glory. But He can't do it if I'm trying to draw attention to the sacrifice. I set my affections and my attention on Him, I put my life on the altar. And the fire of God will come and consume the sacrifice. And I have to do it every single day that I live. Every day. Would you talk to the Lord with me right now? I'd like to open this altar to you this morning. I think this is important today. Maybe you've got some places in your altar that need to be repaired. Today might be the time to do that. Some places you went back further than you planned to go. You said, I'd never step back, but maybe circumstances of life and maybe spiritual complacency. You found yourself back from where you thought you'd ever be. Would you let the Holy Ghost lead you this morning and you begin repairing altars in your life?
Begin repairing those places that may have been broken down and let the Spirit of the Lord... Come on, it's not a hard thing. He, he'll strengthen you. He'll aid you in the building of the altar. He'll aid you in the building of the altar. And then would you, by His grace... Now, you might have to start with the water. You might have to start with some things that are sacred to you that you've hesitated putting on the altar. You might have to start with some things that are precious to you that you've held back from God out of whatever reason. You might have to start by putting those. That's that water being poured on the altar. God, that which is sacred to me, I'm bringing to you. That which is sacred to me. You understand when when the Lord came to Abraham and asked him to offer Isaac on the altar, what he was doing was he's saying, Abraham, I gave you Isaac, but... I don't want to. I want to make sure the promise doesn't mean more to you than I do. I want to make sure your son isn't more important to you than me, Abraham. And so, would you be willing to put your son on the altar? Now we know the story. Abraham put Isaac on the altar, and then the Lord said, "Now I know. Now I know you took that which was precious to you, and you were willing to lay it there. Or you didn't let it mean more to you than I do." And so then the Lord moved and brought a bullock and he placed it on the altar there and consumed it as Abraham sacrificed it. So you may have to be at that place where you're laying those things that are valuable to you on the altar. But by God's grace, we must get to the place to where a fresh and a new, a fresh and a new, I'm not serving the God of this world. I'm not living after this world system. I'm not pursuing the world's things that would entangle me. God, what matters to me more than anything is that the fire of your spirit would consume this sacrifice. Oh God, I submit myself as a living sacrifice. I would be separated and acceptable unto you. I commit myself a living sacrifice. I commit myself a living sacrifice. Bring healing into my spirit. Bring healing into my body. Let the fire of your spirit consume the chaff. Let it purge away the dross. That the glory of the Lord would be revealed. Hallelujah. Come on, the Lord wants to manifest His glory through your life. The Lord wants to manifest His glory to the world. The Lord wants to defeat the efforts of the adversary. Let Him do so. Come on, when Elijah aligned with the Spirit of God, when Elijah aligned with the Spirit of God, the Lord destroyed the false prophets. When you and I get in a place where the fire of the Spirit of God falls upon our life, uh, this world will see the difference between truth and false doctrine. This world will see the difference between truth and error. It's just a matter of the church laying our lives on the altar of sacrifice and letting the consuming fire of the Spirit lay hold on us. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. Come on, there's healing here today. There is deliverance here today. There is victory here today. Come on, there's deliverance right now.
In Jesus' name, there is deliverance. In the name of Jesus.